All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy What Podcast. My name is Jonathan Sousa, and I'm joined this evening, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Ben Wexelman. Ben, how's it going this evening, my friend? It's going well, making our way through the week and uh, just getting through hump day now. Uh, looking forward to recording this podcast and uh, kind of honestly just listening to you talk about soccer and, and me kind of help out where I can. Yeah, man, I uh, I, ha- I had a nice present waiting for me uh, on my doorstep when I got home today. My uh, my 2018-2019 Tottenham Hotspur kit came in. I'm a huge Spurs supporter, so uh, it came in today. I'll have it for their match uh, against Fulham on Saturday. So really looking forward to that and also really looking forward to talking about some soccer DFS. It's uh, one of the sports that was, I-, I think it was actually the first niche sport that I played and really enjoyed outside of the the big three. I, I think uh, I'll never forget. I think the first time I played soccer was uh, the Boxing Day slate of 2014, and this is back really in the uh, the infancy of soccer. But was really kind of fascinated with the ins and outs of it. And honestly, it was because I played a, a lot of FIFA back in like high school and early college. I was obsessed with FIFA Ultimate Team, so it was kind of cool to kind of come on and be able to you know, play DFS and roster some of the guys that were on my ultimate team. But that's what really led me to soccer. And uh, it's a fun DFS sport, man. So I'm excited to kind of hop in to, uh, to some strategy talk here. Um, I know there was uh, a little thing that we were talking about before the podcast, and you were kind of asking me about the state of the, the soccer DFS landscape. Uh, do you mind kind of elaborating a little bit, Ben, on what our prior conversation was for the listeners? So essentially, you know, talking about, you know, the, the overall state of, of the contests and just looking at, you know, there's a lot of regular players, right? So it being a niche sport, I think, like many of the other niche sports that we discussed, there are some folks that you're going to see kind of week in and week out and um, just being mindful of, you know, what contests you're entering uh, and also, you know, especially in some of these, these slates where, you know, you've got a showdown MLS slate tonight, you were saying pre-pod and, um, you know, how, how you can maybe swerve uh, off some of the chalk and, uh, take advantage of, of what you deem or maybe better plays um, as well as just kind of overall what's nice about EPL is there's only so much uh, information out in the industry. So I think there's still some edge to be had uh, for people like yourself and others that are really sharp with respect to uh, soccer and, and really keep a strong, uh, a strong grasp of what's going on. Yeah, man. Um, I, I think that there is a couple of good points that you mentioned there that I want to hit on. Uh, the first being is that you're 100% correct. The soccer ecosystem, I would say the people that are playing soccer DFS are probably some of the more sharp people in the DFS industry. But I don't think that they get a lot of credit for that because I think soccer is still considered a really niche uh, DFS sport. Uh, but there are guys that grind soccer and grind soccer very well. Um, there's a couple of people that just play soccer as kind of their sole sport. Um, so those guys are pretty much in every game type, every contest. But 
the advantage to that is that you can start picking up on tendencies to how people play, uh, even if that's in cash game contests. So I know that there's a couple of guys that are, uh, you know, the traditional cash game grinders in soccer, uh, but they all kind of play a different way. Some people lend to be really, really conservative, while others don't mind taking risk on, say, a goal dependent forward or perhaps a center back in cash games. Um, and that's something that you can kind of use as knowledge in order to craft your your roster to really beat the individual player as opposed to maybe building an optimal lineup. And I think that that uh, aspect is a little bit more prevalent in soccer than it is in a sport like NFL or NBA where you're just trying to find, you know, the 50 to 60% owned chalk plays in cash and just playing for the block and uh, hope that that works out. So really a testament to how much work that you have to put in in order to be good at soccer DFS. And by no means I'm saying that I'm a, I'm an expert or anything like that. I've probably have, you know, a five to 6% ROI lifetime in soccer. So I'm not like this world beater, but I feel like I, I know enough to at least make myself dangerous. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into as my next point is that you know, finding information, and I touched on this a little bit a, a couple of pods ago, Ben, finding information is really crucial in soccer because there's no one site that offers a, a set of reliable projections per se. And I think that that's what a lot of people are looking for when they're going into playing these niche sports for the first time. They really just want a cheat sheet or a, a projection set that'll allow them to, you know, optimize a lineup in a minute and they want that lineup to be as competitive as possible. And oftentimes that's just not the case in soccer. So utilizing Twitter, utilizing sites like who scored and sofa score in order to see, you know, who is taking corners, where are people the most active on the pitch uh, generally in soccer DFS uh, from a cash game perspective. Uh, those two things are really important because we want to see, who are generally out wide? Who are the crossers? Because those people hypothetically have a higher floor based on the number of crosses they swing in. And kind of going off of that as well, uh, set piece takers for each team. So whoever's taking corner kicks or indirect free kicks that are just basically sending in the ball to the box uncontested, those guys already have an established floor of points. So it, it, it makes sense to target them or from a floor perspective in cash games. Um, so like I said, being able to look at a formation, realize who's going to be out wide and who has the most potential to cross in uh, is really key in cash games. And that kind of goes along with defenders as well. And knowing you know which teams like to kind of press their fullbacks higher up the pitch and which teams prefer to kind of play a, a true back four or even a back five maybe. Um, so just kind of understanding that and uh, the ins and outs of formations are is a really big part of, uh, of soccer DFS right now. Um, I know that that was kind of a, a vomit of information there, Ben. Uh, do you have any questions? I know that soccer is a sport that you've kind of dabbled in in the past, but uh, I think you, you put it to me before the pod. You're definitely still a, a noob when it comes to uh, uh, soccer DFS. What, I guess, maybe not a question, but like, what do you find is the hardest part about being a, a newer soccer player? Is it the lack of information or do you feel like it's the competition? Do you think that a lot of these guys, since they're so used to playing soccer DFS, that 
you know, the potential for an ROI isn't as great as other niche sports like, you know, a tennis or a CFL or something like that? Yeah, no. So that's a great question. Uh, So I learned uh, an amazing amount from you over the course of the World Cup, uh, given the fact that you were saying, you know, I think this guy is, uh, is, you know, more or less a, a must play and he wasn't at all a kind of a name player. Um, but then, you know, sure enough, he, he's very active around the pitch and, and I luckily watched a lot of the world cup and, you know, found that really interesting. But like you said, I mean, you know, having websites that, um, can show, you know, the activity on the pitch, that's super important because, it just opens you up to opportunities to get points and not be so reliant on goals. I mean, soccer is a very interesting DFS sport in that you can have some pretty massive swings in a short period of time um, with goals and assists. But if you can find people that will put up, you know, just a, a whole litany of crosses or whatever the case may be, and or or you know someone that's going to get a lot of shots on target that in and of itself can have a nice little floor built in and so you know identifying those kind of guys uh, is really important and that's something that I learned from you um, and, and I think with EPL what's cool about it for a lot of folks um, particularly those over in the U.S. is you can kind of roll out of bed on Saturday morning and and check out some of these games on TV, right? You know, it, it, it's kind of like a lot of people I know play various uh, DFS sports or bet on like college football or whatever the case may be because it's on TV and it's convenient and, you know, it kind of gives them a sweat in the action. And you can do the same with, with soccer as well. And so that's why I, I really think it's, it's a pretty cool sport to play DFS with is because um, you've got the ability to kind of sweat right along. uh, And and it's generally speaking, I would say for 99% of the population, you know, a time where people aren't at work, you know, right seven o'clock in the morning on a, on a Saturday. Uh, So that, that aspect of it, I think is really neat. Yeah, for sure, man. I I know that kind of, making EPL a part of my Saturday routine is something that I look forward to every week. I know that from, you know, I'll wake up early for the early game at seven 30 and then generally the, the bulk of games will begin at 10 AM Eastern time. And that's something that I always look forward to every single week, knowing that I'll be able to sit down and watch, watch soccer on Saturday. So yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that this kind of rolls into something that I wanted to talk to a little bit about game selection and maybe a little bit about lineup construction as well. So you mentioned a lot of people are accustomed to watching soccer on Saturdays and a lot of people are probably accustomed to watching you know, the bigger Premier League sides. So your Arsenal's, your Manchester United's, Chelsea, Man City, um, those those squads are, are generally the most popular here in the United States. And I think we see a lot of that translate to DFS ownership. So guys like you know Sergio Aguero and Kevin De Bruyne on Man City, um, Eden Hazard on Chelsea always tend to carry inflated ownerships because they're names that a lot of people recognize. So I think that understanding where the goals are coming from for those teams and also understanding uh, the, the types of spots that they're in. So you know 
Manchester City is always going to be competitive in every game. Like I, I it would shock me if they weren't favored in all but maybe say one or two of their games over the course of the year. However, it'll be those one or two games where they're maybe not in the best spot, but they'll still carry ownership from casual people. And I think one of the bigger edges, at least in soccer GPPs, is recognizing kind of these these middle flight teams, if you will, that that have some offensive firepower, uh, but might not carry the name value as uh, as a Man City or as an Arsenal. Uh, in understanding when they're in good spots against potentially teams that are going to be at the bottom of the table, so like Huddersfield is a, is a team that is going to be absolutely atrocious this wheel this year. So uh, I, I think that that's a known fact throughout the uh, the the Premier League following here in the United States. But you know, if there's ever an opportunity to get a you know a team at home against Huddersfield, uh, potentially own, low owned in GPPs, I think that that's a great chance to to take advantage of that, especially if you have some some bigger clubs on the slate in some in some good spots. Um, another thing that that's very interesting uh, that I wanted to talk about in terms of game selection, and this kind of goes back a little bit to uh, to cash game talk per se. Um, one thing that I've found is uh, much like we were discussing before, Ben. These guys that are regulars in the soccer contest are very sharp, and they're going to be in pretty much every double up. Um, but as you know, DraftKings has now limited the, uh, the lower dollar games. So $1 and $3 double up is pretty much what I'm talking about, um, to newer players. So I would say if you're interested in kind of learning the ins and outs of cash game strategy in the EPL, um, one thing that I've really been trying to do is really avoiding the really small field double ups. Uh, so any 11 mans, I'm not even considering because most of the time, more than half of the field are these regulars that are playing every DFS contest. Uh, I'm really trying to focus on the you know, the larger the the field and the less total entries you're allowed uh, double up. So I'm not trying to play very many multi entry double ups. So I'm looking for big field single entry double ups. So like the five dollar single entry double up that's seemingly offered for every single sport is a great contest to get into because these pros will only have one shot at putting their best cash lineup forward and you know it, it, as you're learning the game it's a it's a lot easier to say you know I, i'm going to try to put my best lineup forward against someone else's as opposed to me putting my best lineup forward against you know 20 iterations of of somebody's best cash lineup so i, I would definitely say that if you're interested in grinding cash and learning the ins and outs of cash game for soccer um definitely going after those smaller uh, smaller buy-in, larger field double-ups is, is the way to go for sure. And then uh, obviously kind of translating that into head-to-head action as well. Um, make sure that you're utilizing the block feature. Um, I track my results in soccer pretty religiously through uh, Roto Tracker, And I understand, you know, historically, which guys uh, I do well against in head-to-heads and which guys I don't. And the guys that I don't do well against in head-to-heads I'm making sure that I'm blocking them because, you know, I, I don't want it to come down to to lineup block and I have, you know, four or five head to heads still out there and they get auto matched with guys that, you know, traditionally beat me at, you know, a, a 40 or 50% clip because I'm not trying to trade rake with somebody or, you know, I, I just want to make sure that I'm putting myself in the the best opportunities to win. So 
that's not necessarily soccer specific. I guess it's kind of macro perspective when looking at soccer. It's not in roster construction or anything like that. Um, but I would say in soccer, it's more important to, you know, recognize who is in your contest and utilize that block feature for head to heads on DraftKings uh, much more than it is in, uh, in any other sports. So, um, Ben, I know that you dabbled a lot in tournaments for, uh, for soccer during the world cup. Was there any particular stacking strategy that you saw? I, I know a really popular stacking strategy, uh, in the world cup, since the games were a little bit low scoring, was to, uh, pick both center backs from a, a favorite side and pay them with the goalkeeper, potentially with a set piece taker. Uh, to try to capture that corner goal and assist um, or potentially, you know, looking to roster uh, an opposing fullback that would uh, be crossing in on the opposite side of a striker for a header goal. Um, What was kind of a couple of iterations of correlation that you were looking to in your GPP lineups throughout the world cup? And uh, maybe if you're hopping into the, the EPL streets, what, what types of correlations are you going to be looking for? So first off, you know, my main strategy wasn't even necessarily from a correlation perspective. It was more so just like identify the chalk and find contrarian ways that I I felt made sense. I mean, there were, there were spots where you had people 55 60% of, like Ronaldo that first day was 55% Harry Kane at one point was 55% Neymar 55 60% and just trying to identify other folks or, or even different roster constructions that could um, still put up that same ups or you know still have that same upside the one thing I, I wanted to get back to your point a while ago with respect to EPL and um, and whatnot is you're 100% right that a lot of those uh, better teams will get you know ownership bumps for the most part. I found myself last year. I know this sounds like super crazy uh, because I did dabble in EPL uh, last season. I found myself playing the Palace guys a lot. So like I found myself playing Wilfred Zaha. Uh, uh, Loftus Cheek, like all these guys that were, you know, from like middling teams, um, a pretty fair amount. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think who else I I found myself on. Like, just time and time again, I I always seem to find myself on like these uh, these these like middling teams. You know, I I wouldn't necessarily go for the Harry Kane because, like you said, in the EPL streets. He might have been 55% owned that week. And so it's like, okay, if he doesn't score this week, um, where can where can I um where can I pivot? And so it was stuff like, okay, not gonna take not gonna take Kane, I'll take like Leroy Sane or something like that, you know, and, and get him at a third of the ownership. Um or just just Th- things like that. Trying to identify who are those who are those individuals. Um, found myself on like Casper Schmeichel every week for for uh, f- for cash because like he was sick and and um, they f- you know, faced a lot of shots and so and, and always pretty reasonably priced. So it's just I think identifying those guys that um, that you know 
are going to be maybe a little bit under the radar. There, there's a there were a few fellows from Watford. I can't think of their names off the top of my head from last year's team. I think one of them got uh, one of them either was on loan to a different team or, or moved uh, moved around this year um, for a hefty price tag. I was just reading. But the, there are guys from Watford that I was like, oh, sure, you know, that, that piece fits. And it allows me to get to someone that's uh, fairly expensive from one of, those, one of those top teams that might have a little bit lower ownership. So, yeah, man, there's a, there's a lot that I'd, I'd like to unpack there. Um, so first, you started off talking about how there was a lot of guys that are potentially – really high owned in, in slates. And I I think you see that a lot in soccer, but what I will say for someone that may not have played soccer before is that oftentimes if somebody is like in the 65 to 70% owned range and there's someone that is not goal dependent. So it's not like a Harry Kane or a Romelu Lukaku or someone like that, or even Cristiano Ronaldo to a certain extent. Um, I think that there is merit in fading the the very high owned goal dependent players because as you mentioned Ben if they don't score a goal they're not going to hit value. So it it makes a lot more sense to fade those guys but like there were certain World Cup slates where Neymar was like 65 to 70% owns. Um you know, he takes everything from a set piece perspective for Brazil. He generally has the best goal scoring odds for Brazil as well. And Brazil throughout the group stage were in positions for Neymar to succeed. So even though Neymar was going to be 65, 75% owned in contest, it really didn't make sense to fade him because not only did he have the highest floor on the slate, but he also had the highest ceiling on the slate. So that's just something to keep in mind as you're, you're deciding where you want to make pivots and GPPs is that, you know, making sure that you're recognizing who's on sets and just because someone's going to be high owned doesn't mean that they're necessarily a great fade. Um, I know you mentioned crystal palace in there. A lot of the guys, I I know that I was listening to the Rotowire fantasy soccer podcast recently and uh, their season preview, uh, Jordan Cooper and Andrew Laird were talking about how cash friendly of a team crystal palace is um, because they have a lot of guys that are, uh, you know, have the tendency to to put balls into the box. I know their main piece taker right now is uh, Andrews Townsend, um, who is generally a, a cash game darling for EPL. Um, but yeah, a lot of these kind of middling teams, if you can understand the intricacies of how they play, who's on sets, who likes to take crosses, um, unless you're playing in a contest with a lot of soccer regulars, um, you can use your knowledge of these quote-unquote middling teams and uh, really kind of use that to your advantage because as we've mentioned throughout this podcast, the average person isn't going to know the tendencies of a, of a Watford or a Crystal Palace or someone like that or Burnley or, or anybody in that kind of the middle tier of the, the EPL. So really kind of understanding those teams' tactics and uh, getting a good idea of how they're going to approach each game is a, is a pretty wise strategy for finding potential low ownership and then potentially safe floors as well. Um, so I, I think we're getting pretty close to our time here, Ben. Is there anything else that you would kind of like to add in from a soccer perspective? I know we've kind of covered a lot here, but maybe if you wanted to leave the listeners with, say, one or two nuggets that we've uh, kind of gone over that you think would be the most important for someone. Let's say it's somebody that's never played soccer DFS this weekend. 
Uh, they're going to hop into DraftKings and play the five-game slate that we have for the EPL uh, starting on Saturday. Uh, what would be you know, maybe one or two bits of advice that you would give them uh, as they make their journey into soccer? So before we do that, um, I actually have a question for you that I think would be beneficial to listeners you know, with some of these niche sports, like with tennis, we've talked about, you know, looking at some of the Vegas lines um, or offshore lines, I should say, really. Um, do you look at betting lines at all for soccer and figure out, you know, for which um, goalkeeper to take or which uh, which offense to target? Do you look at team totals? Yeah, I, I, I do a lot. And I'll give a quick plug. They didn't pay me anything, uh, but Rotowire. Um, their fantasy soccer pa- package. Um, they also have a podcast that's free and they do a really good job of breaking everything down. Uh, but their subscription package in terms of getting just raw statistics that you're able to interpret yourself, it's unlike anything that you'll be able to find. Well, I guess it's not unlike anything that's out there. Sites, as I mentioned before, like Sofa and Who Scored have all of this information, but the way that RotoWire has consolidated it makes it really easy to do your research and understand what roles people are playing. But part of that subscription is uh, a cheat sheet that they have. And it lists all of the implied win totals and implied goal totals for each team on a given soccer slate. So really for me being primarily a cash game player in soccer, recognizing, you know, who has the highest implied goal totals on the slate um, really helps me make decisions and deciding what teams I would like to target. Um, and obviously you're going to be looking at the bigger favorites uh, in terms of figuring out who the set piece taker is for bigger ter- favorites and in, in cash games. And then obviously who has the higher implied goal scoring odds for those bigger tournament or for those bigger uh, favorites uh, when you're looking to decide who to play and who to fade in GPPs. So uh, the short answer is yes. I, I think that, Betting lines are very important in soccer. Um, I will say that DraftKings has gotten very sharp here in adjusting goaltender price to uh, correlate very well with the Vegas odds. So it used to be back in the early days of soccer DFS, the main goalkeeper of a, a team would be very close to correlated with the pricing in terms of uh, the Vegas lines. And then the backups of the team would be like almost near min price. So if for some reason a starting goalkeeper didn't make a expected start and you got like a spot start, almost like you would in NHL, um, that cheap goalkeeper would automatically become like, you know, 80 to 90% owned in cash games because not only are you packing in a lot of win equity and clean sheet equity, uh, which means or which goes a very long way in soccer, uh, but you're also being allowed to spend up at other positions, which is is really valuable as well. So, um, yeah, for sure, man. Uh, any type of information that you can derive from Vegas is definitely going to be helpful when you're constructing your lineups. Cool. Yeah. No. I'm. I guess I would say kind of what I would leave the the listeners, like you said. I mean, you know, identify some of these platforms or at least dig in and make yourself knowledgeable. Um, with what someone's doing, you know, I, I think something that I learned through the World Cup was there were a whole lot of game log watchers out there. You know, a lot. You, you saw some pretty inefficient ownerships. I thought on um, 
like Grandquist, for example, scored a PK in the first game, and there thereafter uh, in in their group game, their group matches, he was, I thought, over owned um, for his given an you know elevated price tag and just examples like that where. You can find some inefficiency in ownership. I, I would keep an eye out for things like that. With uh, you know, someone maybe having a huge week um, that isn't. You know, it's very, uh, very um, relatable to CFL, right? Where there might be a random guy that gets a touchdown one week, and people load up on him the next week, and he gets a, he gets a zero. Um, I kind of find it somewhat similar and. In EPL as well, where you've got you've got some ownerships uh, that don't necessarily fall in line with uh, the quality of the play. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, I definitely think that you know recognizing who has a quote unquote good game log, and even the inverse of that, making sure that you're recognizing, hey, if somebody doesn't have a great game log, digging in and figuring out why is that case, why is that the case? Are they you know, potentially getting subbed off early. Are they coming on late as a sub and not even starting? Um, just understanding all of the outside factors into what goes into a box score is important for any DFS sport, but I really think it's important for soccer as well. Um, the one thing that I'll leave the listeners with is uh, something that I alluded to on a podcast previous to this, where you and I talked about research process, and I also touched on it a little bit earlier, but just make sure that you're able to understand basic formations in soccer and kind of how teams like to operate. So the example that I gave in our research podcast was that if you have a a, a winger that is traditionally someone that plays out on a flank will be, you know, sending in crosses and is traditionally known as kind of a high floor player. If you see them in the the formations before the games and you can get that in in a variety of places, SofaScore offers them uh, the, EPL Twitter is is a great place to to see four nations and lineups before the games. But if you see that player kind of more centrally, it definitely should raise an eyebrow for you. So um, unless that particular player is on set pieces for a team, you have to kind of figure if they're playing more centrally, they're not going to have as many chances to to be out wide and send in those crosses. So hypothetically, they'd have a lower floor. And that's kind of something that could never be encapsulated in a projection. So just understanding, you know, formations in soccer and and what generally happens when a team lines up in a in a 3-5-2 as opposed to a 4-4-2 and all of that fun stuff will help you become a better soccer DFS player. So just really understanding the game and taking time to to understand tactic, tactics, excuse me, uh, will really pay off in the long run. So that's a uh, that's kind of where I'm at with that. So we're right at the end of our time here, Ben. I think this has been a great discussion for me. Um, I, being soccer is one of my favorite niche sports and probably will be my favorite niche sport to play here uh, going on out. Uh, I guess maybe CFL will have something to say about that. Um, but I really enjoyed the discussion today. Um, real quick before we get out of here, would like to again thank Galen Dragiev for coming on the podcast last week and chatting WNBA with us. If you haven't given that podcast a listen, I highly suggest you go back and uh, and digest it. It's a it's a great podcast. We talked about a lot of good nuggets. If you're going to be uh, kind of grinding NBA and, or WNBA, excuse me, uh, the season's winding down here. 
Uh, but there's definitely some money to be made. So definitely go back and give that a listen if you'd like. Um, you can find me on Twitter at John underscore T underscore Sousa. You can also find the show on Twitter at fantasy underscore what. And uh, Ben, I'll let you close us out, man. Let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter and uh, bring us home. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone can find me at B Wexelman. Uh, that's B W E I X L M A N N. And, you know, you can hit me or John up on there and, you know, happy to have conversations about all things DFS, really. And definitely looking forward to the EPL season. You know, certainly going to uh, dip my toes in, in the water a bit more uh, this year. Uh, and, you know, I feel more prepared to do so, kind of coming uh, off the heels of the World Cup and, and getting some more research in about the various teams. So looking forward to doing it and, and kind of just grinding cash throughout the throughout the season. Definitely. Uh, think it has an opportunity to be quite profitable awesome man well sounds great uh thanks everybody for joining us uh we'll be back next week with another episode of the fantasy what podcast take it easy we'll catch you guys soon